I'll be reading from um, Isaiah 53 verses 1 to 5. Um, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was the pierce of our tragedies, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, wounds we are healed. The next reading is from Matthew 27, starting from verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And I'll now I'll be reading from Matthew 27, verse 32, the crucifixion of Jesus. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus to wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his clothes up by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. 
Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Thank you guys, well done. Big entrance. Uh, if, uh, if I don't know you, I haven't met you yet, my name's John, I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you here this morning uh, on uh, Good Friday. Uh, now, you might have uh, heard that passage lots of times, or you might have heard it for the first time, and uh, you might be sitting there with a lot of questions. A lot of questions come up from that passage, don't they? A lot of why questions. Now, when we're young, we kind of get that drilled out of us, don't we? When you're on a car trip or you're trying to get ready, you get sick and tired as a parent of hearing why questions, don't you? We're going to church, why? Got to go to school, why? Got to eat your greens, why? Actually, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, but lots of why questions, don't they? They get annoying. And as a kid, you get told to stop asking why all the time. Uh, but the, the why questions just follow us, don't they? I've got some why questions that I've been thinking of this week. One is, uh, why are oranges and mandarins called different things, but they're both the colour orange? been a very deep week. <laughs> or maybe, uh, why, do we, why do we get so hung up on this idea of what came first, the chicken or the egg? Why? why? Who cares? Or maybe, uh, why do we need to know if a tree falls and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Why do we need to know that? Why do we park our cars in driveways? They're not parkways. Why do cartoon characters always seem to be wearing the same clothes in every episode, but it's not okay for me to wear the same clothes every day? And this is the biggest why question ever. If you've seen this movie, you know. Why, why, why? Can we have the photo up? Did Jack not get on the door? There is plenty of room. You did not need to freeze to death to save her. There is room for both of you. Why? If you haven't seen that movie, it's the Titanic. No more audience well enough to know that some of you have no idea what this is. But there's heaps of room. He dies to save her. Why? It's okay to ask why questions. In fact, Jesus, in the passage that we've had read today from Matthew, asks that question, doesn't he? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is okay to ask why. Because when we ask why, we get to understand things, we get to know more. I think sometimes we've, uh, I was chatting with a few people this week, that uh, as we get to Easter, we know the story, don't we? It's not like we're holding a spoiler. Sunday, guess what happens? Well, can't tell you. We all know. He rises again. He dies on the cross. There's a trial. There's all these things. We all understand that we know that and we can get to Good Friday and to Easter weekend and just go through the motions and experience Easter kind of 
in a kind of ho-hum kind of way. Here we go again. But I love the fact that we celebrate Good Friday and Easter because it gives us an opportunity to ask why, to remind ourselves why. So we don't become complacent in the story, but we know and feel and understand why Jesus had to do what he had to do. And so I'm going to ask three why questions of this passage. Uh, There's so many more why questions we could ask. And uh, there are some that we could spend a long, long time on that we're not going to, uh, but I'm happy to talk to you more afterwards if you would like. But I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump into some of these why questions as we go through. Let's do that. Our dear gracious God, we thank you for, uh, for this day where we can pause and ask why. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom and insight and help us to understand the answers to these questions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my first why question is, why did Jesus have to be mocked? It's one thing to, to be crucified, but why did he have to be paid out all along the way? You ever wondered that? Why does he have to be mocked so much? In fact, Matthew, out of all the Gospels, actually records the most amount about the mocking. He picks up the most about how Jesus was paid out by so many different people, more than any other of the Gospels. And we heard, as Aurelia read for us in Matthew 27, from verse 27 through to uh, 31, where the soldiers take Jesus off to the side, they take him off to a special place, and they do some really just sad and delinquent type of activity, I guess. So they, they get him and they strip him. Like when we read the word strip him, they mean it. They took his clothes off. That is so embarrassing for someone to do, to be exposed like that in public, even today. Not only that, then they robed him with a scarlet robe because that's what kings wore. And because he was a king, they twisted a, a crown out of thorns. And then, as they, after they've put that on his head, they know that a, that a king needs a scepter, needs a staff. Because that's very kingly to have a staff. And so what do they do? They put a staff in his hand. It would have been a piece of reed or bamboo or something like that. And then... They mock the king even further by bowing down and not saying we're not worthy like in Wayne's world. But they bow down and they say, hail the king. Hail the king of the Jews. And then they spit on him and they take the same staff that they just gave him in his hand, they pick it up and they start hitting him with it. It's like the ultimate, you know, when you're, uh, when you're a kid and someone grabs your hand and they start whacking you with your hand. And you say, why are you hitting yourself? It's that ultimate bit of mocking to pick up someone else's thing and to hit them with it. The ultimate way to pay somebody out. And so here is Jesus going through this. Spat on, struck in the head with his own staff. And then as the the passage that we read continues on, we find that the, the mocking, the pain out doesn't stop there. It continues while he's on the cross. We see those uh, chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders, the religious gurus, as you wish, of of the time, stand there and mock him. 
They, they, there's the onlookers there who look up and say, you saved others, save yourself. That's some of the most hurtful words that ever get thrown towards us are words that are true but are twisted and distorted to bring us down. You ever thought about that? Some of the words that hurt us the most are the words that are actually have an element of truth to them. When the, the soldiers bowed down and said, Hail the King of the Jews in a condescending way, they're actually speaking truth. He is the King. When they say to him when he's on the cross, You saved others, save yourself. Yes, he did, he saved others. He brought people back from the dead, he healed people. In fact, the very sign that hangs above his head is words of truth. <coughs> the sign that says, here is the king of the Jews. Yet in all this, Jesus remained silent. He didn't push back, didn't bite back, didn't fight back. Didn't call down a, uh, an army of angels to smite them. Do any of those things? He just did what he knew he was there to do. Knowing that there would be no rescue, there'd be no army of angels coming down. And then we find one of the most interesting parts. Well, there's lots of interesting parts, it's not the only one. But not only do we have the mocking, there is darkness. Darkness for three hours. And so this is the second question I have for us today. Why the darkness? What is the point? Well, Matthew, I think, is trying to point our attention back into the Old Testament, which he does throughout his gospel. He, he talks about uh, a lot of Old Testament stuff, and he takes us back to Exodus in our thinking. Now, if you don't know Exodus or where that is or what's going on there, uh, Exodus is, is actually when God saved his people out of Egypt. He sent Moses to the Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let his people go. That Moses was there to rescue God's people. And if he wouldn't, well then some stuff was going to happen and we've got ten plagues that take place. And do you know what the ninth plague is? Do you want to know what the ninth plague is? Yeah, Kai? Darkness. Well done, buddy. You get an extra hot cross bun. Darkness. And darkness is followed by salvation. But that salvation comes through death. Death of the firstborn, which points us to the death of God's firstborn here. Darkness takes us to that story where there is darkness for three days, which is, we get a miniature version of it in three hours. But not only that, there is uh, Amos in uh, chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, talks about when judgment comes on Israel, that it'll be like this. He says, in that, in that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. This was spoken about a long time ago, that this would happen, that things would go dark 
And we're, we're given the idea of darkness. It's not like uh, at night when we go outside and we can see the moon and the stars. That's night. That's not darkness. The idea that it is totally pitch black. All of this darkness points us to the judgment that God is bringing on the world for the sins that we have done. I loved hearing uh, Kai and Zali stand up here and confess that they do do things wrong. Did you hear that? They, they very personally said, I know that I sin. I know that I, and I think Kai, I think Kai said, I sin lots. That's great insight, right? Because we do. And so that, in this darkness, the judgment for all of our sin is there. At this miraculous act of God where midnight, uh, midday turns into midnight, we see God's judgment at play amongst this fearsome darkness. And it is here where we get our last why question as the darkness is about to break. Where Jesus actually asked the why question for us. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those final three hours, Jesus had experienced the full brunt of God's wrath, of God's judgment. And he cannot stay silent anymore. You ever hurt yourself so bad that you try to put on a brave face, but then that point comes where you just can't anymore? And you just kind of go, ah! Jesus had it experienced, as Tim mentioned and Kara has mentioned, he's been beaten, been spat on, he's been mocked beaten again and then forced to carry his own cross to the grave, uh, to, the, to the, the point where he'll be crucified. He is nailed to a cross. And it is after the darkness where the full impact of God's judgment is poured out. It is only then that Jesus cries out at this point because this is the lowest point of Jesus' suffering. In a way, Jesus descends into hell and, ex and experiences the most extreme suffering ever experienced. It is so compact in these three hours, so infinite, so horrendous, so incomprehensible that it's unsustainable. Now, when Jesus cries out like this, he does, he's not rejecting God. He's not saying, my God, my God, I reject you. At this point, Jesus isn't saying, I am not part of the Godhead. This is the cry of someone in deep need of rescue. I don't know if you've ever been forsaken or abandoned by anybody. Have you? Or maybe you've forsaken or abandoned somebody else. I remember when I was six years old and my parents divorce had finished and my mum got sole custody of my brother and I 
That was the last day I saw my dad. There were many times growing up where I wish my dad was there to help me, to save me, to tell me what to do. I felt abandoned. I needed his help and he wasn't there. Jesus calls out to God, rescue me. I cannot bear this anymore. And God doesn't say no. He says nothing. He's silent. Because both he and Jesus know that this is what needed to happen. Jesus is not denying that this is what needs to happen. He knows that this is what happened, but the pain is too much. He needs rescue, but there will be no rescue. There will be no encouragement to keep going. There will be no voice from heaven cracking open and saying, this is my son who I am well pleased. There will be no angel sent to care for him and to look after him. The women who supported him, who are there, remain silent. His disciples have fled and left him there. Feeling disowned by all, Jesus endures this suffering alone. He's alone and deserted and abandoned in utter darkness. Every bit of this detail declares to us the horrific character of our sin. That this happened because of you and me. Because of our sin. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, he's there acting on our behalf. He's our representative. He's doing what we cannot do. With Jesus as our substitute, God's wrath is satisfied and God can justify us who trust and believe in him. Christ suffered and is victorious. He suffered on our behalf. He did not simply share our forsakenness, but he saved us from it. He endured it for us, not with us. This explains the, the hours of darkness and this roar of despair that Jesus cries out. The reason that, that God forsook Jesus on the cross was so that he would not forsake you or me. Hebrews 13.5 says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises us that he will never leave us or forsake us because Jesus has become the forsaken one for us. Even though through our sin we have forsaken God, God will never forsake us. That is the good news of the gospel. That is why this Friday is Good Friday. Because Jesus was abandoned by God in our place so that he would not abandon us. 
Jesus died so that we don't have to die for our sin. He was forsaken so that we will not be forsaken. And we'll find out on Sunday, we already know the, the, the punchline, but there's more to come. Because not only do we have this good news, but the news gets even better. Because when Jesus cries out, what Matthew says in the other Gospels, we're told that he cries out, it is finished. Judgment is done. The, aban- the abandonment has finished. Salvation is won. He is victorious. And he will rise. And the promise, too, for us is that those of us who trust in this Jesus will rise to new life once this life is finished and we'll be with our God forever and ever. And we can ask all the why questions we want. Why is the sky up and the ground down? Why is it blue? But here this morning, the good news of Good Friday is that Jesus hangs on the cross to pay it all for you and me. Pay what we can't to be abandoned so we won't. Let me pray. Be gracious, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, to be abandoned for us, so that you will never abandon or forsake us, that you are always with us. Father, we thank you. And Father, we pray that we continue to ask, why is this Good Friday? Why do we celebrate Easter? And may we find our answers in you and your word and the joy of your son and his death for us. Amen.